you have so much to offer. Each of us has something really unique and profound and special, and it is not determined by anyone else's yes or no. Hello, welcome to The Seasoned RD, a podcast connecting newer professionals in the field of eating disorders to those of us who have been around for a while. I'm your host, Beth Harrell, a certified eating disorders registered dietitian and supervisor. And I'm Abby Brown, a registered dietitian who is newer to the field. I think of myself as a well-seasoned cast iron skillet with wisdom and experience, yet always ready for something new. And I think of myself as an Instapot with innovation and a fresh perspective. This podcast brings both to the table to share ingredients, recipes, and techniques of past and present so we can all be our best for the future. The kettle is heating up. The skillet is on simmer. So join us around the table for true professional nourishment. Abby, ready to stir the pot? Let's do it. Well, hello, and welcome back to the Seasoned RD podcast. I've missed you. We took a little time away this summer and provided some replays of favorites, and now we're back in the saddle. Today's conversation is with Kate Meek, who inspires me for so many reasons. I'm glad we found each other through a graduate elective course I teach called Nutrition Therapy for Eating Disorders. She'll tell you her story. This is not her first career and how she's trying really hard not to be a professional student. (laughs) This episode is just a conversation with me, Abby, and Kate. And as you'll hear from Kate's perspective and how she lives her life, You'll understand why this is the perfect kickoff for two things. One is the prevention series that we at the Seasoned RD are working on, inspired by grandparents of a child with an eating disorder who wanted us to focus on preventing eating disorders. So we shall shift and roll out one original episode a month instead of new episodes weekly. It was just a little too much. And the second reason this is such good timing is my membership opens today. If you're listening in real time, that's October 1st of 2023, and there are two tiers available. It's open to any person, anyone who listens to the podcast, just because they're interested in the science and relationship of eating disorders and disordered eating care from a dietitian perspective. I call it seasoned nourishment, seasoned, like the seasoned RD, the ED is capitalized for eating disorders. And the nourishment, MNT, is medical nutrition therapy, which is what registered dietitians are so uniquely qualified to provide in our scope of practice. Information is in the show notes, and I hope to see you there. Both of you, if you're ready to record because you're my friends and you're not <laughs> these experts that I'm bringing on to like talk about their research or what, you know, whatever. But literally, I need to know there's three levels of seasoning here. You know my level, Abby, who is in this job force and trying to find her place in the world and started out doing some things with eating disorders, but that may not be where she lands. And then Kate, you were trying to figure out what you want to do with your life as an adult with three kids. You've got a career, a full filled career. So that's kind of what I wanted to talk about first. And then we can actually, Abby, we could do our questions for her. But then I also want to talk about Apple Watch, Diet Dr. Pepper, and Stand Up Desks, if you don't mind, at the end. Here for it. Okay. All right. I forget our questions, Abby. And I was just trying to look them up, but I, I haven't. Oh. This, might, this might not be the correct order, but Kate, Mountains yes. or Beach? Okay. Definitely Mountains. I get burnt just thinking about the sun, but also Mountains, I have found, are a place that I exhale, and my brain goes a mile a minute all the time, and so Mountains are a place that just kind of humble me and I am quiet and still. And that is 
a gift to my soul and probably my husband. <laughs> That's beautiful. I can like envision that as you were explaining it even. Yeah. I love a good hike. Okay. Second question, breakfast or dinner? I love a good brinner. I would always do a breakfast for dinner situation, but I love breakfast. I look forward to my morning coffee ritual. I love like just the whole experience of kind of like starting my day with something that like feeds my soul and mm-hmm. I take a minute for myself and just kind of like sit with my family and we do a whole with my kids. We talk about what we're thankful for at breakfast. Mm-hmm. So we each go around and say what we're thankful for and just kind of like starting out off the day in that way is I just, I look forward to it. It's, it brings me joy. Aww. I, I normally sleep here. when most people eat dinner. <laughs> I'm a, I'm an early to bed person. So looking at your beautiful family and you have three kids and you said something about taking time at breakfast for gratitude and thankfulness. Mm-hmm. But like I'm thinking, I remember just with my kids and they're adults now rushing out of the house, like barely like mm-hmm. throwing breakfast at them. Um, yeah. To, to get to the next thing. Absolutely. And I feel like that does sometimes happen, but for the most part, I think it's really just taking a minute and slowing down. And in a way, it's teaching them like everything has been really intentional. We have a round table that we can all sit and facilitate conversation. I mean, listen, I don't think we're doing any magical breakfast, like it's eggs and toast and and kind of have like a standard setup. But I do think it's a really intentional way to start the day and for my kids to get outside of themselves for them to start realizing that life is bigger than just them and to even hear from their siblings something they're thankful for. And just to take that beat and that breath that we start the day with each other. And then also thinking of there's always something we can be grateful for in the midst of the chaos because it's chaos. I have a just turned five. I have an almost three and I have a 15 month old. So it's like complete madness. Half the time they're like chasing each other, you know, holding breakfast in their paws. But there is something I think because we've done this, they really do know they sit down. And then it's also something that we've started that they take their plates and they put them in the sink because we talk about we're a whole team, like we're a family unit and we help each other. And so that's just kind of been from the get-go, a really intentional space we created. And then a lot of times at the end of the day, we'll sit and talk about Rose and Thorn and you know something great that happened. And I kind of say like, what made you laugh today? That might be your Rose or you know, what was something that maybe was a bummer or surprised you? And, you know, sometimes there's no, there's no thorn. And then we also kind of end the day in gratitude, but it's, it's so funny because they can do it. I mean, they really look forward to it. And I think sometimes like we have to give a lot of credit. Kids are really intuitive and it's been fun to kind of, I don't know, reset that in myself. We used to call it when my kids were little bubble up and a bubble down. Oh, so, but yeah, it's a, the bubble, you know, it's just kind of something that we can pop and let go and release, but also, mm. you know, with the bubble down or the ne- the thorn part. And sometimes there isn't one and it doesn't have to be big. It yeah, allows the that. kids to just talk and get it out there. Well, yours is the same. It's the rose and the thorn, you know, mm-hmm. it's just, it's the same concept. Right. Oh, Kate, I just want to hop on a plane to New York and come and, and have breakfast with you. So thank you for I coming mean, to have coffee with me. I don't know, me. you made me terrified. <laughs> I love it. But when you were here in Lee Summit, Missouri, we had this, we have this cute little downtown area with lots of shops and coffee shops and bars and restaurants and whatever. And it, that actually ended up being magical. And we couldn't have planned it the way that it happened where we stopped and talked to the, the yoga studio owner as she was coming in. We were just talking about that. And 
I don't know. So anyways, how, what got you interested in kind of eating disorders as a topic, not necessarily mm-hmm. a field of, of practice? Just what you were saying, I think like life, there's an element of magic, right? That you kind of just have to say, I'm going to accept and like go with the current. I think it is something that I've been guided and like it's been, I've been leading up to. So in like 12 lives ago, I was a performer. So I grew up in Kansas city and then by way of Nashville for my undergrad, and then eventually on a total whim moved to New York. And I had primarily been a singer. So I had done demo work and background work and love just the collaboration with, with individuals. I think that's what I truly loved about performing was like the rehearsal and the collaboration and the conversations and the research. I love the research. So I moved to New York and just kind of went, I don't know if I really want to be doing that where I'm in a show every night. And so I had started a performing arts company, which still runs today here in New York City. And I have an amazing team of performers that are really kind of upholding it and running it, which is a huge, it's just so much fun to see and be a part of. But I think in the eating disorder space, I lived it. I had grown up in dance. And I have lived in every type of body. And I think, you know, just even thinking about like how this started for me, I will never forget. And I don't even know if this is still practice. But when I was in middle school, they put all of the, at this time, it was like all the girls on a scale and they, they, you know, called off your number. And I remember being, you know, just like, oh my gosh, if my number is above whatever it is, because I'm not going to say the number because I don't care what anyone weighs. But I just remember being so mortified that my number was above a certain point. And I think at that, my body started changing. I, you know, have a lot of hormonal dysfunction and I lived it, right? I was in a sweatsuit in 90 degree weather, going on a three mile run and living on a rice cake and then dancing and going from class to class and was in shows constantly. I've been around where, and I don't want to like trigger, but just, you know, around tables where things were being done, where you just go, there's got to be a better way. And I think then even working with children and little ones in that space, in the performing space, I've seen all type of, you know, really disordered eating so young where, and you know, Beth and I, we've discussed where I would have students just bringing in peppers and that's all that they were eating. And so I think at a really young age, it starts where, you know, our society is kind of trying to put individuals in a box. And so I went, there's got to be a better way. And I want to collect, like, I want to use all the skills that I loved about performing, the collaboration, the rehearsal, right? Where we have conversations, the research, where I really get to dive in and constantly be learning. I think that I love being a lifelong learner and the nutrition space is, you know, perfect for that because it's ever evolving. And I think that's where it's so important and wonderful for us all to go. We still have so much to learn and it really is just keeping space with people So I think it was just something that at a certain point I went, I'm doing more of that. I'm researching more of this. I'm involved in that. And then I finally went, I'm going to go back to school. I'm going to get my master's. I think I'll go on and get my PhD. So I will be in school alongside my children. They may actually graduate before I do. But I think it's something where you go, you're never too old. It's never too late to try something new, to do what you really feel is your passion. And so that's, I'm just going to, I'm going for it. Yeah. 
Thank you for mentioning, no, you don't want to trigger. This podcast is for professionals. And so if mm-hmm. there's any other detail, I think it's okay not to share weights because people are going to have automatic judgments, but it'll help any professional listening if they find themselves veering over to a judgment. Like mm-hmm. when she says, I've lived in every type of body. It's like people are going to say, no, you have it. Yeah. So it, that, doesn't, it, that doesn't matter to me as much as when you said the pepper lunch, like these are green mm-hmm. peppers, bell peppers. That's mm-hmm. what kids would bring in their lunch. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, I've seen dancers put ketchup on cotton balls and that's what you have for lunch. And I think, you know, even for me, like I really, I have lived in every body. I have gone into auditions and been told you're just too fat. We're not going to, we're not going to adjust the costume. You are the best singer we've heard today, but we're just, we're not going to do that. Mm -hmm. And I think you just go, there is something in that performance space that we have allowed that to happen, that Mm -hmm. we have allowed such like toxic judgment and you go, it really, it can change. I hope that it will change. I think that we're making small changes towards it, but where it really is just like, everybody is amazing and can do wonderful things and is a gift. And you just go, but it is, it's like the the judgment, especially being a dancer and and being in that performance space where you walk into a room and like, there is the scale right in the corner, Yeah, you know, just even down to like outfits. It's, it's so, it's really tough. Yeah. When you mentioned that, I'm thinking about a couple of clients actually in the military who Mm. they have to make weight and that's a big concern for them too. So that's a whole nother topic, but this is going to be a great kickoff for our prevention series. Mm. We have some amazing guests that will be coming on and talking about their efforts to prevent eating disorders. Like so many of us say, we want to be out of a job in this. Yes. I would love to be yes. out of a job. Yep. And are you going to become a registered dietitian? Or are you going to get your master's and PhD and then work in maybe research? Or... So I don't think I can work in research. I think that I am relational. I think that yeah. where I really am best is working with people alongside people. And so as of right now, I will have my master's within the year. And that's the debate is do I kind of sign like alongside my RD also go for my PhD and just really slow lane it. But I think even for, you know, everyone listening, I think sometimes we can, you know, kind of put roadblocks. And I think school could be a roadblock for me that I could literally say I need every workshop and initial behind my name, right? I think it's that imposter syndrome. I mean, I, I absolutely live in that space and it's something that I have to sit with and exhale and go, I will never know all the things no one does. Mm -hmm. And no matter Mm -hmm. how much I research, things will change. And I think it's really profound also to sit with someone and say, that's really hard. I don't have an answer, but I'm going to sit here with you in the trenches and we're going to figure it out together. And I think that sometimes is more profound than just saying like, well, here's my evidence-based answer. And not that uh-huh. that is that is critical. There's a critical. place for that. Mm-hmm. Yes, but I think what I have to work on is is just taking you know taking the step, like just doing the damn thing, and saying yeah. you know part of it is there is a reason I'm in this space, and there's room for everybody. And I think sometimes the imposter syndrome is where I struggle. Yeah, one of the things, and you both know, I've been doing this for over three decades. One of the things in a recent webinar that I put on a slide is I know nothing and you know nothing. And it was a Mm -hmm. a professional webinar, people who work (laughs) in all levels of care for eating disorders. And that is the truth. When we come in with a new client, we don't know them. Yeah, We don't want to put them into boxes of diagnostics because what we want to see is their struggle and what, what it is that they are hoping 
to get out of your time together. So that's the relational right. part. And I know you're working on your intuitive eating, mm-hmm. which is fabulous. There's so much, there's so much support for that. And, and I, it's so good. And I mean, even just talk about evidence-based, right. I feel like it brings in everything that I have been studying, but even as a parent, I'm kind of seeing it from the ground floor of, right. I think I grew up in a completely different time surrounding food where it was very much pressure to eat or finish this. I think just seeing my children, I just said it and forget it. And it's incredible to observe. They really do know, they know their body. And somewhere we kind of lose that like beautiful spice. And so you go, how can we kind of like gift that back? Because it's so incredibly empowering because I think so many times, especially in the ED space, it really can just become a diagnosis code, right? And and I get it. And and it's critical to have all of that background knowledge, but also you never want the person sitting across from you to feel that way. Right. It's, it's you lose that beautiful spice, right? We're talking about our different levels of seasoning. Mm-hmm. You have, you know, this is that fifth career into your life and the seasoning, we don't want to lose that beautiful spice of no pressure to eat. Yeah. Now yeah. there can be conditions where kids aren't going to know, and that's more rare. And so I'm, I just grabbed the book, Gentle yes. Nutrition, that I have on my yes. in my on my desk, a non-diet approach to healthy eating. I love the recipes and the ideas, and I'm pulling that out for a client that I see this afternoon. But when you said pressured eating, that's what made me think of the opposite is gentle. Yes. And so it's a. I just kind of look at it with my kids specifically. Food is an adventure, and I know right with ED clients that is not the case. That right, food is is right. really is scary. really scary, and so I think it's as practitioners and clinicians, it's sitting with that space and knowing all of the gray in between, mm-hmm. and it's just been a really profound experience to kind of see it with really little ones that haven't yet. And I know there's going to be the day, and there there has been. My son at three came home one day and was really really upset, and he goes, "Mommy." you have to stop putting the chocolate in my lunchbox. And I said, what, what are you talking about? My son's name is Charlie. And he's like, well, the teachers, they, they don't want me to have the chocolate before I eat. And so they take it out. And it was this whole experience for him that right their food is just food and there's no good or bad. And so we just put it on the plate and we really just talk about food as an adventure, right? Texture and taste and smell. It's like a whole sensory experience. But that was, that was my son at three. And you go, it is, and I know that there were good intentions, but that's kind of how that slowly is chipped away. That food then becomes an, a source of anxiety and scary and really complicated is that those mm-hmm. little comments along the way, and it doesn't take much for it really then to kind of get into someone's headspace. Yeah. Thank you for that. And Abby's into the the movement exercise, you know, personal training space, which is so like the three of us on this call, I'm just so wrapped up in, in this next part of where I want to go. I want to ask you guys some questions. First, I want to ask you, have you ever heard of Miss Frizzle? And is that a thing these days? Miss like Frizzle, like Magic School Bus? <laughs> yes. I don't know if it's a thing anymore, but I always watched it. Okay. Kate, I mean, I know Miss Frizzle and I mean, I loved the Magic School Bus, but once again, I like research. So it was really fun for me to see her go into like the brain and learn more about it. 
Right. But the thing of her phrase is it's time to take chances. She's got, I mean, she's got mismatched Mm. clothes. Her hair is sticking out all over the place. And she just like, oh, you know, it's Mm. time to take chances, make mistakes Mm. and get messy. Okay. So when we're sitting in front of a client who, you know, that food is not an adventure, it's scary. Mm -hmm. Um, There is not a beautiful spice to it. It's, 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 it's dark. It feels dark. That the Miss Frizzle part, I have a, a client right now who actually loved loved Miss Frizzle and she's yet way younger than I am. But we connected by that, right? Because it's we gotta make messes and it's time to make mistakes. So we're gonna do this together. We're gonna make lots of mistakes. I may use the wrong word when I'm describing exercise versus movement or whatever, or if somebody doesn't identify as fat or living in a fat body, that word can be the word mm-hmm. fat can be really, really damaging. So we find out we have to listen more than we speak. Okay. So diet, Dr. Pepper, Apple watch and stand up desk. These, all of these things in the eating disorders community are looked down on for Mm -hmm. one reason or another diet, soft Mm -hmm. drinks, stand up desks and Apple watches. Can you guess why that might be like when I'm with a client, I can't, I love diet, Dr. Pepper, by the way. And anyone who knows me and have seen me at work, I'll have that with my lunch by wearing mm. an Apple Watch. I don't have mm. a stand-up desk, but I'm just saying that these are topics that get to be really charged. I can't have my Diet Dr. Pepper in session. Mm. I think it's because we've got to the point where those things were just labeled as, well, this is diety. You can't mm-hmm. do that. You know, you're you're looking too much into the calories you're burning or you're taking your steps too seriously or, you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. And hey, this is kind of what I took away from a lot of what you were saying too, is the black and white and like, mm-hmm. why can't we get in this gray area and just stay there? And I think it's the same with Beth, the three things that you just listed too. Like it doesn't mm-hmm. need to be this, oh, it's so terrible. How dare you drink a doctor Pe- or a diet Dr. Pepper? Like it, mm-hmm. it doesn't need black and white. Mm -hmm. I I agree. And I think it's one of those, there's that like, do something every day poorly because it means you're Mm -hmm. trying something. Right. And I think even in that ED space, like giving permission of like, this is going to feel kind of awful and we're going to do something and it could be just bad, but we're going to do this together. And I think it's that exactly right. It's that like opposed black and white thinking that Mm -hmm. I think, again, it's that culture of good or bad. Doctor Diet Dr. Pepper is bad. A stand-up desk is bad. I mean, at the end of the day, like even in even in the research, like, I don't know, what did they say? You uh, so let's just say you burn 10 extra calories or whatever it is. Like, who cares on either side? Like maybe someone is like, you know what? I have really tight hamstrings. I have no clue. Or I think yeah. it's so individualized. And so we really need to constantly just kind of strip it down and say, we're just we're working with people. We're not working with a big mm-hmm. concept. We're working with people, we're working with individuals, and we never know their history. Someone could wear an Apple Watch because they have severe anxiety of falling or like who knows what it is. And I think sometimes it's just sitting with someone and going, oh, that's interesting. Tell me about your Apple Watch. Why'd you choose that color yeah. band? Like, let's let's discuss it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's the same thing of a bath of listening, right? Yeah. As totally. opposed to coming in with our views because I get it. Like wellness culture can be incredibly toxic. But I think when we really just sit and listen and just hold that space, if we just constantly hold that space, we're going to be surprised every day too, because it's not going to be what we think. But I do, I think it's that whole alignment of like the good or bad 
type of thinking, which is perpetuating the very thing I think that we're trying not to do, which is then making people choose, right? It's like, well, I, then it's shamey in any way of like, oh, I'm like shamed if I have a stand-up desk and then I'm shamed if I don't. And I was so going to say, yeah, hearing you say like stand-up desk is bad, diet Dr. Pepper is bad in the opposite space, like in mm-hmm. the very fitnessy, wellnessy space, those are the good things, you know? So it's like, we're sitting on either side of yep. the fences. And Absolutely. Yeah. It's, we've got, and I, Beth, I feel like this has been a topic from day one of the podcast of like, why can't we just meet in the middle a little bit? Mm-hmm. So when you were talking about, um, and we were talking about language too, I had an office not too long ago that was very close to the train tracks. Mm-hmm. And when I would have clients come in and a train would go by, I would look at their facial expressions to see if there was any anxiety with that. Mm-hmm. Why would I do that? Because I had a, a, a traumatic moment with my dad and my brother. We were walking along train tracks to go to a quarry. The only way to get there was through the train tracks and the train tracks were up on a, you know, basically you have to jump off of the side. If we had a train came and we had to jump off the side to, and, and I'm sitting there mm. hearing, I mean, I'm feeling it right now, <laughs> the train going, it had three locomotives. So it was going fast and it was pulling mm. a lot of weight and it was just wavering back and forth. I could feel the wind on my face. I was off on this, whatever you call it. It's not even a ditch. It was up on a whatever scared me as a child. And so, but most people look at me and say, no, I'm fine. But I check in with them, but I don't know until I ask. And so we Mm -hmm. have to, no matter what, we just don't know. Like Abby, you played soccer in college and your experience, if you were working with a soccer player is going to be different from what that, that client may be, may have had. Kate, you were a singer and a dancer and Mm -hmm. the experience of hearing that, that you're, you're the best singer we've heard today, but you're, none of our costumes are going to fit. Mm-hmm. Like, seriously, we don't know that that's what's happening with people. Mm-hmm. But clients who come in who are wanting, uh, living in a large body, a uh, fat mm-hmm. body, and they're identifying as fat and understand that they, they can't ride in an airplane mm-hmm. without purchasing two seats, but want to conceive. You know, mm-hmm. how can they find good OB care and fertility specialists who are going to listen, we don't know what their experiences are. And and too often the doctors are just saying, well, and they did to this particular client, you know, let's talk about weight loss. And I'm like, no, let's not talk about weight loss. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you a question, Beth. I'm curious what your thoughts are on this. So what if someone in a larger body is just feeling uncomfortable? Maybe it's difficult for them to do certain movements or whatever it might be difficult to go through their daily tasks. And they get to this point where they're like, you know, I think quality of life would improve if maybe I lost weight. What would your response be to that? Like, is this an okay thing for them to do? And I, again, I think in both extremes of our world, the one mm-hmm. side is going to say, no, shame on you. You should not lose weight. Losing weight is bad. And then the other side is like, of course you should lose weight, lose all the weight, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You, you just answered it. Abby. <laughs> like <laughs> we, we have to live outside of the black and the white of acknowledging that it would be easier. You could buy one plane ticket instead of two seats. You wouldn't have to ask for a seat extender if you're small enough for one seat, but big, too big to fit into what's already there. Moving around in the world. Yeah. Is it is totally acknowledging. I hear you. And it would be easier on your joints. It would be easier on your life. Mm-hmm. 
And, and so this kind of goes back to Margaret Berman's episode of, is it possible and is it feasible? And to that, I don't know. So 66 to 95% of folks who are large enough to experience these problems have been on multiple diets. And then the, the end answer is, okay, well, maybe I need bariatric surgery. I just need someone to cut into my body and do something really drastic to make this work. The problem with that is that people fall out of those studies. They regain the weight. They have more GI complications. Some need, and and again, I'm in the customer service for, for weight loss. Like I'm in, if you go to a customer service counter anywhere, they see all the returns, <laughs> right? And so I'm I'm dealing with, First of all, letting people make informed choices on any kind of weight loss, whether it's bariatric surgery, whether it's injections of some of the new, they're not new, but the medications that are being promoted for weight loss. It's not my opinion that matters. It's what is going, you know, the, the, my client making that decision. Let's make an informed decision. What do you know about bariatric surgery? What do you know about the different kinds of bariatric surgery? What do you know about the surgeons in your area. What do you know about this medication that can work? And I'm, I'm currently working with a client, and this is so cool how people kind of come my mm-hmm. way, who has been on Manjaro for a year, has lost weight, right? So these are the weekly injections. Mm-hmm. She's feeling so great. And she's scared to death of getting off of it. Does she have to get off of it? No, she could stay on it forever. And that's what I understand. As of this point, I understand that this is something that you would need to take for a lifetime to keep the weight off. Mm-hmm. Now, whether that's big pharma wanting the money or whether that's true, we don't know. It's too early to tell. And it's expensive right now. So what I'm, what I'm doing with her is recognizing every step of the way what she's doing that's intuitive. And, and one example is I'm taking the, I'm taking the shot on Sunday. So it maybe it's wearing off on the weekend when I'm going out with my friends. Maybe I should start to take it on Thursdays. Mm. And I said, interesting thought, isn't it? Would you be willing to continue to take it on Sunday and do some experiments when you go out? Because this is a foodie. I mean, someone who loves to be around friends and loves, food, you know, amazing foods. And she's finding that was about three weeks ago. She's finding that she can do it. She mm-hmm. can do it. So whether or not it's just a different framework or that she's using the medication as a crutch and she doesn't really need it, I said, I don't, I don't care if you stay on it forever. This is not the, the goal. It's if you are going to even try, this would be the best way to do it. So Abby, that's a long answer to your question. But what I'm hearing you say is that if you aren't really, you don't really have an opinion on it. Like you don't think mm-hmm. it's good or bad, but you're supporting her to make a good decision, whatever that might be in her situation. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Cause we've used the word shame in this. I, I believe shame is what brings on eating disorders. I mean, that's a major, major part of it. And I believe that relationship is what heals. Yeah. And so that if, if I can see her for her pain and her, this is a different, the, the Manjaro client is a different one from the one who wants to conceive. So just see her for where she is and help her make those informed decisions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's holding space for the fear. And mm-hmm. you're also not creating a moral value on any of that. There isn't mm-hmm. a, this is bad. Therefore, here's what I'm going to tell you to do. 
with all of my education and background, right? Because I think you can you can utilize that as a weapon of I've been doing this for over 30 years. I know better than you. And I think a lot of times that is what happens with clients or patients. I think that they are used to going in. And I mean, I can say from my personal experience with PCOS and living in a larger body, the very first thing anyone ever told me was you probably won't conceive. And if you do, you will need to have, you know, out IVF, like just like one of the very first conversations in my early twenties. And so I think what you're doing, Beth and Abby and, and people that are in this kind of in the field, you are sitting and allowing to be in the, in the murky middle. Like you're sitting in that gray area and you're taking up space and you're allowing that to be okay. Because I think so many times individuals have, they're coming to you because they have been told so many different things. And instead of telling someone how they should feel, you're just allowing it to be. And I think that is the gift for people, right? Because you go, it's not, it's not for you to say what this individual does or doesn't do with their body. But I think you can question and just hold the space and be there as a sounding board and and use your education and expertise, but not in a way that is telling someone what to do. Makes total sense. I know we're we're wrapping up on our time. I was grabbing something that I took notes on when you said, Kate, acknowledging the fear. So I'm on to the next shiny thing. I love intuitive eating. I was yes. I was going to kind of shift over to RODBT, radically open dialectical behavioral therapy for eating disorders because I've seen so much good in that modality. And then uh, LB came to Kansas City and talked about embodied recovery. Mm. So it's traditional eating disorder practices versus embodied recovery for eating disorders. And I was so like the message for that was so important that now I'm, I'm going in that direction, but that was the like state stating the fear right up front. And I'm just in the beginning of it. So I'm going to learn more as we go along, but I will tell you one of my freebies, the next one actually for October is going to be with Annie Goldsmith who is registered dietitian and embodied recovery for eating disorders. Like how can dietitians use this modality to listen in to what is your body telling you? What is that anxiety telling you? Pay attention Mm -hmm. to the tension, but it's kind of bottom up instead of top down. Top down is I'm going to count way and measure my body, the calories, Mm -hmm. whatever. And, and the the bottom of your brain is this, the brain stem and it's telling you fight or flight. It's telling you Mm -hmm. you need to go or you, so what, a great conversation. Abby, we have a wrap-up question that we didn't talk about ahead of time because we're totally doing this on the fly. Um, <laughs> I, living I in the say, gray. Yeah, yeah. I will say, if you have a thought of one, you could you could bring it up and we can each ask one. But I will say, I use my Apple Watch to remind me to breathe during the day and to hydrate. Like seriously, mm-hmm. that's, and then what time and day it is. I don't go into all the apps because it's, I've got too much in my brain already and I just mm-hmm. need to make it simple. So that's what I use it for. And then, yeah, anyway, I just wanted to say that. Abby, do you have a a question for Kate? Are we wanting to do our traditional question? Well, she didn't really. Yeah. She's not in the eating disorders world. and we can. I don't really do anything the traditional way, Abby. I really wish. Well, I think (laughs) that's easier. I think that's another message from today. So we've, we've got the sitting in the gray area, which we need to come up with a better word for gray. Like it just seems so dull, like the gold or something. I know. The adventure. Yeah. And then also that 
in your life or career, like it's going to take all of these twists and turns and you mm-hmm. just have to kind of be along for the ride and not feel like, oh, I'm I'm failing because I don't have this set path. So I think especially to newer professionals listening to the podcast, if you mm-hmm. had any wise words for them, if maybe their career journey is taking different turns than they expected, anything you'd want to share with them? I think to look at it as an adventure. And as you were saying that, I just thought of, I'm going to say, instead of live in the gray, live in the glitter because it is all the different colors and then you can throw it into something and you can throw it into water and shake it up. And it's going to create something beautiful and chaotic and messy, but also amazing. And it can be used to calm you down. It can be used as a focal point. But I think instead of saying living in the gray, I'm going to, I'm going to embody living in the glitter. But I think as someone, I think as a newer professional, it can be overwhelming. I think that I can sometimes feel like I'm just catching up to both of you or to people that I really, you know, all the people I admire that is that fear of I'm never going to be good enough. And I think it really is just saying, I'm just taking a step forward and I'm going to live in the glitter and I'm going to do the damn thing. And I'm going to listen. Like that's my job. My job is to listen. And so I think if you do that, you can show up in such a profound way. And it's really not about you. It's about just, it's the community and the collaboration. So I would say show up and listen. I love that so much. Kate, when you when you were told that you have the best voice we've heard today, but your body's too big or however it was said, mm-hmm. can you say, can you go back to that and tell us what you would do different or would you do anything differently? Now? <sighs> I know I, I go, what would I say to my, you know, 22 year old self? <sighs> I think it's that my value isn't in the shell. Mm-hmm. I think I had, my value was so much in that perfect and please the especially as a performer, I think it was like wrapped up in, in me. And so it was very hard to identify where that kind of ended. And so I think it's really just knowing you have so much to offer. Each of us has something really unique and profound and special, and it is not determined by anyone else's yes or no, because I think as a performer and even in any space, right, you're going on a job interview or I'm auditioning for something, you're waiting for someone to almost give you an okay and an affirmation. And I think it's telling individuals you are okay and wonderful and good enough exactly where you are and to sit in that strength and to walk forward in that knowledge. And then life is an endless adventure and it's still terrifying and we're going to all make mistakes and, and fall. But I also think, man, if we don't, if we're too scared to take that step, we're not going anywhere. I love this. Thank you, Kate and Abby, for joining me again. It's been so long since we've done this. We're really rusty. Our <laughs> our cast iron skillet and our yeah, I'm rusty. Well, that's and cast then, iron skillets. They last forever and they hold they the seasoning. For- yes, that's what makes them magical. <laughs> I know. And the glitter, you get to let people choose the color of the glitter that they want mm-hmm. to. Yep. It's there's a lot of autonomy there, and I think that mm-hmm. is that's also a gift, right? Giving people that autonomy back, but that's also really scary. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. This was so fun. Let's lean on each other and learn from each other so we can grow together as professionals in this field of eating disorders. If you want to connect with me for supervision or membership with monthly content, please find me at bethharrell.com professionals.